This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. So a little bit of business before today's episode. First thing, I want to thank everyone who has left a review of the Plant Yourself Podcast on iTunes. If you haven't, uh, I can't emphasize enough how much it helps the show reach new people when it gets reviews. So please go there if you have a moment, if you listen to the show, if you enjoy it, or even if you don't, if you listen to it and you want to scream at me half the time, like just leave a review. You don't have to give it five stars, but just share what you like, what you don't like. I'm very happy to receive feedback so that I can make it better. And, you know, obviously good reviews are preferable to bad ones, but kind of with iTunes, I think the more the merrier. So I would really appreciate that. Second, this is the NPR Fun Drive part of the podcast, where I remind you that there are buttons on the website, plantyourself.com, where you can become a patron, either a one-time amount or a monthly amount, to help fund the production and the time that goes into this podcast. There are a bunch of ambitious improvements that I'd like to make to the podcast, and they will require learning new skills, spending a lot more time on each episode, and I believe that those efforts will allow me to reach more people more profoundly and have a bigger impact on the world. The main way I make a living right now is through health coaching and consulting. And the website for that is trianglebewell. That's trianglebewell.com. And if you want to shorten that, you can just go tb, the letters tbwell.com. And for $139 a year, you can get a year's worth of health education and support. You can read the sales letter there. I won't go into all the goodies but it's a great deal and you get my personal attention on your wellness journey and that also helps support this podcast. Okay, now on to today's show. So two of the guiding principles that are nearest and dearest to my heart as I help people transition to a healthy plant-based lifestyle is whatever they do, it's got to be natural and it has to lead to liberation versus dependency. So natural means... We look at nature as a guide and we look at human evolution and human history and we say, is this thing that I'm doing, is it, does it make sense in terms of what we were meant to do, in terms of how the world is constructed? And very often, you know, you go on calorie restricted diets and you do all sorts of stuff and you get, you know, treadmill desks and things and they may have some benefit, but ultimately they're fighting against our nature. And there are better ways to get exercise, better ways to avoid sedentarism, and better ways to eat right and lose weight than manipulating all sorts of little things like that. So I'm not a fan of things that appear to me to be unnatural. The second thing is leading to liberation versus dependency. So I don't want to see people embarking on a, an eating plan that involves counting things, measuring things, constantly you know, having scales point systems, equivalencies, exchanges, like unless it's absolutely necessary and there's no other way. So I don't want people to become dependent on a system, on another person, on a plan. It's got to, you know, along with natural, it has to come from inside. So it has to lead to independence as opposed to continuing dependence. So that's why I'm so happy to be interviewing today's guests, Sid Garza-Hillman and Matt Frazier. So Matt Frazier, if you're a fan of the podcast, you may have heard my 
interview with him from a couple of years ago. He's the no meat athlete. And Sid Garza Hillman has just come to my attention. He is the author of Approaching the Natural. So Sid's whole thing is to be healthy, we need to be natural, but we live in an unnatural world. So it's unrealistic to say we are going to simply live as we did 10,000 years ago before we had cell phones and cars and smokestacks and cities and all that. But to the extent that we can, we should be approaching the natural. And together, Sid and Matt created a health plan that is kind of a series of meal plans. But what really excited me was there are meal plans designed to get you away from the need for meal plans. So a short dependency leading to independence. And as I said, that's very interesting and very exciting to me. So I heard about what they were up to from my friend, Chef AJ, who posted in her Ultimate Weight Loss group on Facebook that these two guys had come up with a Ultimate Weight Loss compliant set of meal plans. So I went over there to take a look. You know, we in the community, were always trying to see what everybody else is doing and maybe borrow some good ideas from them. And so I went to look. And after reading a little bit, I actually signed up. I paid my own money so that I could join and learn from them. And I've read through a bunch of the stuff on the website. I've downloaded some of the meal plans. I've attended two of their webinars. And I've got to say, I'm getting my money's worth. I'm learning a lot of things that I can use to help myself, help my family, help my clients. And I'm, I'm really happy about the money that I spent. Now, just to be clear, this is not a joint venture or affiliate deal. I don't get any money if you buy from them or if you don't. Um, I'm sharing their work and the offer because I believe in it and because I think it's going to help a lot of people and because these are two fascinating guys doing fascinating, thoughtful work. So without further ado, Matt Fraser and Sid Garza Hillman, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you, Howard. Good to be here. Thanks, Howard. Great to be here. Yeah. So, you know, this is like a podcast, plant-based podcast convention. You guys both have, have awesome podcasts. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. So I, I do admit to being a little bit nervous here. So uh, I'll try. I'll try to get into the material and forget about it. It's nervous. You're the you're the big time co-author of all these books. Well, writing is easier than talking. Oh, okay. Okay. But, and also, Matt Matt Fraser is a very imposing figure. So I don't <laughs> yeah. know. That, I know how that is. Okay. <laughs> well, so um, the, the reason I've brought you here together is that you guys have have, have started something um, that I find really really fascinating. Like you've you've entered a, a space in terms of providing help and support for people who want to eat a plant-based life, but you have, um, I, want to, I want to say you've, you've put a ton of thought into it and you produced something that really was, was not a compromise in terms of like what you believe about how people should eat, what they should eat, how they should change, and what kind of autonomy they want to take. And that's kind of what I want to talk about on this call. But first of all, um, let's let's give every, get everybody up to speed and give everybody a brief introduction. So Sid, you're new to uh, the Plant Yourself podcast. So tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how, how you got to this point in your in your career. Well, uh, it's kind of a weird twist and turns, but in the short story is in 1992, I cured myself of asthma um, after reading Fit for Life by the Diamonds and uh, gave up dairy. It wasn't even really plant-based fully at the time, although I did move that direction pretty fast. Um, but lifelong, you know, asthmatic, and in, it's in my family as well. Anyway, so that that started me on this voracious reading trend of, of nutrition book after nutrition book. 
At the time, I was a full-time actor and musician in Los Angeles and um, finally got tired of that after many years. So my wife and I and a ch uh, child at the time came up to Mendocino and just got out of L.A., really. And, and at that point, realized this was a, more than just a passion. It was something that I wanted to pursue as a career. So I went back to school and got certified as a nutritionist. And then through a series of just not being effective in the beginning, crafted my what turned out to be my small steps approach. And that fueled the, the book that I wrote and the podcast and YouTube channel and everything else. And then through that, I basically begged Matt uh, to review my book when it came out. And, and he and I uh, hit, it, uh, hit it off immediately. And, um, and that forged our relationship. And then cut to Matt saying, hey, you want to do this meal plan with me? And I said, sure. And, um, and here we are. Awesome. So let's let's uh, let's put a pin in several of those of those things. Especially, I'm curious about what not being successful looked like, and you know how how you knew. Because <laughs> I think when we look at the world of dietary change, it's almost universally full of people who are not successful, but the practitioners don't seem to notice or or care or or care enough to do anything about it. So I'm really curious about that failure point. But let's let's move over to Matt and uh, re reintroduce yourself to people who haven't listened to our episode or, or aren't familiar with your work. Sure. So my name is Matt Frazier. I am the founder and author of a site and a book called No Meat Athlete, uh, which is what it sounds like, plant-based fitness. Um, for, for people running mainly has been what I've focused on all this time. Uh, but now we're kind of starting to bring in other authors and, and not not just for the, you know, for the fact of me not having to write everything, but but so that we can get different perspectives because I don't do yoga or or do CrossFit. You know, so trying to get different people writing different things. Um, we we started no meat athlete groups around the country and actually around the world, and have a new book coming out, a cookbook coming out uh, in spring two thousand seventeen. Cool. So back back to you, Sid. What, what does not successful mean? So you became a nutritionist. You're you're uh, trying to help people, and what did, what did you see that frustrated you? Well, at the time, I was working locally, you know, in my little town, and and just kind of getting used to working with clients and the whole thing. This was before you know that whole model expanded. But so I my point is is that I was able to literally see these people two months after that I, you know, two months after I did my consultation with them and, and realized almost entirely they were not following the recommendations that I had made during the consultation. So they would follow it for a short period of time and then not follow it. And at this point, my model was kind of what a nutritionist does. I sit down with the consult, I get their history, I get their medications, what they're doing. I kind of work around a nutritional thing to see that that, that fits and it's sort of scheduled here's what you eat, these kinds of things. And they weren't almost 100% not following it long term. They, I would hear from them in a few weeks, oh, it's great. Da, da, da. And then two months later, three months later, I'd see him in town. And I knew exactly that they were not doing at all what I had recommended. That was frustrating for me. You know, on a purely professional sort of success level, that was frustrating for me. Obviously, um, on a business level, they're not spreading word of mouth because it's long term not successful. And I was very clear that in my own mind that success to me meant years, not a month. And so I, I, that's why I wasn't successful. I was like, these people aren't following this. I'm essentially a diet. I'm another diet that I'm handing somebody and 95% of people don't follow diets long term. And so I didn't want to be part of that, that model any longer. Hmm. And it's funny, we're having this conversation on the heels of a New York Times article that, uh, I don't know if you've seen that about the biggest loser. 
Yeah, the one who gained the weight back. Where all these people are gaining the weight back. And the my, one, my yeah. friends who are not in the plant-based movement are all basically posting it and saying, see, you know, our bodies want to be fat. Like, there's, <laughs> you can't win. Like, they're, they're taking this as, as evidence that it's okay to just give up because even these people can't do it. Well, I, I discussed this in length in my in the podcast in my podcast episode that I did last night because I believe these people were not set up for success, and it's a travesty to me that now these people. The one article I read is the woman's feeling embarrassment and shame that she gained the weight back, and it breaks my heart because she was never set up to succeed in the first place. It's a flawed model, and it's and it has become an expectation in our culture that weight loss should be that fast, and I think that that's just false advertising. So it, it is frustrating for me and for Matt to see that happen, and. And a lot of the stuff we're doing now is kind of putting on the reins with people and saying, this is a slow process. It should be. And you should learn a lot about yourself in the process. Cool. So, Matt, you um, had the idea for meal plans. Like, so where, where, where did that first come from? Like, What made you think that your followers would benefit from, from meal plans? You know, it's funny. Where it, where it actually came from is countless times i've been doing the site for seven years now uh you know people email with questions and whatever and i try to answer as many as i can fewer these days than i than ever but just because there's a lot more but one of the ones that was really annoying actually and and really really common was when someone would say they just email in you know not not responding to anything i've been doing but say hey i'm i'm six foot one and i weigh 160 pounds and i am gluten-free can you make me a meal plan and, and they just, you know, I think assume that someone can just make a meal plan and just churn it out and give it to you for free. Um, <laughs> turns out it's not not that easy, but uh, I realized that people, people wanted that. Like people just, a lot of people want to be told exactly what to eat. I don't think everyone needs a meal plan. I mean, I don't think nearly as many people need a plan as, as think they do, but I think it kind of takes following a meal plan for a little while to learn that about yourself for if you're one of these people. Um, I think it's mainly a confidence issue that people just, they want to know that the food they're eating is giving them everything they need. I mean, this plant-based diet, there's so much good evidence uh, uh, that, that it is good and sustainable and long-term really, really healthy. Uh, but, you know, as both of you guys know, just the way that our culture has conditioned us, there's there's still this, you know, probably, probably more prominent idea in our mind that says this is a weird thing to do to stop eating animal products. Um, and I think, I think this, there's this sort of natural fear, like I'm not doing it right if, if I'm, or, or a fear that I'm not doing it right, even if you are doing as much research as you possibly could. Um, so I think people just want to be told what to eat. They want to know that, that people who, uh, you know, do spend a lot of time on this thinking about these things, uh, have put something together that, that they can follow. Uh, so I think that's, that's really what it is. But one of the reasons I never did it for the longest time was I didn't think a meal plan was very useful. I just thought like, you know, I'd tried to follow them before in the past and it was like, I would get two days in and be like, well, I don't want to be told what they eat anymore and, and just give up. So that's why we went kind of a different way. We really sort of, um, stubbornly made, really said we're going to make this about being as simple as possible and as easy to follow as possible. And as, as like much as possible, not make it something that you have to follow to the letter in order to get anything out of it. Um, so, so that, that's kind of what we baked into the whole thing. And, and it seems like it has resonated with people so far. I'm, I'm actually surprised to hear that that's what's behind people's desire for a meal plan. The idea that they're not confident they're getting everything they need. Cause you know, they didn't, they didn't need a meal plan before, 
right? When they were eating, you know, <laughs> right. McDonald's and uh, Chuck E. Cheese and, yeah, and right. uh, Pizza Hut. But now, now all of a sudden, so they're, I mean, you, like, probably, they're like you probably need a meal plan even less if you're eating a plant-based diet and you're eating it on Whole Foods. Like, you know, you, you just, like you're getting at, you could just go eat fruits and vegetables and, and occasional grains and beans. And like, I think you're going to be way healthier than someone who doesn't eat a meal plan but eats McDonald's. So, so my, my thought about the meal plan is, is specifically around, like my, my assumption, and I haven't done any research on this and really asked people, is that people, as you said, just want to be told what to do. Like there's so much friction and f decision fatigue in our lives that people, you know, when they're, when they're adopting this new skill, they have all this unconscious, this conscious incompetence all of a sudden. And they just want, you know, mommy or daddy to hold their hand and take all the decision making out of their lives just because it's so stressful. Was, was, yeah. was, is that a big piece as well? I think that's a really good point, the, the decision fatigue factor, that, that when people think about, like there are lots of people who know they need to change the way they eat, but the idea of doing that uh, is just an overwhelming thing. I mean, it, it's just impossible to, to grasp when just because of the way life is now, there's so much else going on, so many other little decisions, so many distractions that to have this huge component of your life that is the food you eat um to like to change that you know that that's a major major change so i think i think that's a huge part of it that if people have it put done for them they don't they don't need to make those decisions they don't need to have the stress that goes into that and this then comes back to the confidence thing they don't need to have the stress that says am i doing this right or not um but but more than that you know they don't have the stress of saying here's the recipe I'm making tonight and here are the ingredients I need. So I'm going to put them on a list for the grocery store. I think the more that little stuff you can just take care of, I think the, the easier it's going to be for people to make a change. You know, habit change is all about the the number of, or the amount of times that your, your willpower is taxed and the intensity to which it is taxed versus how many times are you successfully doing the habit. So I think when you put as many little things, like like when they talk about someone who wants to get up in the morning and they tell them sleep in your running clothes so that you can get up and run first thing. Like that's that turns out to help a lot of people with running, just because it's it's one minor little thing that now is no longer standing in between them and getting out the door. <laughs> so I think I think that's what what you know making a shopping list for someone is is one of these things where like it seems like a kind of trivial thing. It only takes five minutes to make your shopping list, but uh, I think the more of those little things you can kind of stack on top of each other, the more likely change is going to last. So, Sid, you're you're known for being the the small steps advocate, and I right. I'm, I know that's baked into this. But can you can you explain what what that is and and why you know what what's what's the significance of small steps? Like what why don't you know why does that have to be a thing? Why is anyone doing anything else? Like what does the world of, of habit change actually look like? And and what do you bring to it? Well, the world of I mean, the world of habit change looks like people taking on too much and burning out too fast. And, and so that was my solution early on to my, what I said was my, you know, lack of success as a nutritionist was to figure out two things. One, how to ease people in, in a way that, that only adds very minimal stress, because there's going to be some stress with any kind of change, but how to minimize that. And second, how to make it, how to, have people understand that it's a bigger picture than just food. And I think we, 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 we put all our sort of no pun intended, but like eggs in one basket, which is like we make it all about food. And it's this huge thing. But really, food is one of the things that allows us to live happy and healthy in the world. And I want to broaden people's goals in mind, which is that they're even coming to a meal plan like Matt and mine to live happy, 
happier. I mean, that's in theory why they, I, I would hope, should be doing that. It's really less about the protein content and more about they're looking for a better way to live. And and so the small my small steps approach is to help people sort of assess the size of what they're able to take on. Not everybody's small steps is the same size. Some people are ready to take on a whole bunch, but that's not stressful for them. Some people are willing to take on one meal a week because that's what's not stressful for them. So it's a mindset that I try to instill in people to how to approach you know, bringing in new stuff into their lives in a way that doesn't, you know, on top of everything else, pile on more, more stress. And I, I just want to add one quick thing about the whole choice thing that you mentioned, which is we, I, I really feel like we haven't fully adapted to having a choice around food in the first place. I mean, there's no wild animals that sit there and go, what do I feel like tonight, Italian or Mexican? Like we have this kind of on top of everything else, it's really hard time negotiating choice. And then when you put the marketplace on top of that, that says, if you don't eat animal products, you're going to die. That's the underlying message on top of all that. No wonder there's so so much fear and stress around food. So I'm, you know, Matt and I are trying to minimize stress and fear, not, you know, not add to it. <laughs> I, I love the, uh, that lion sitting around, uh, you know, look with the, with a bunch of takeout menus, trying to, trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> well so um i i intuitively love the idea of the small steps and i've studied um bj fogg i'm not sure if you're familiar with his work at stanford on sort of you know building tiny habits and and yet when i when i bring this up at like certain um plant-based conferences and typically those that have a very very strict interpretation of the diet i get a lot of pushback from people based on physiology, saying that if you're going to take take small steps, people are going to become dispirited because the addictions are going to are going to reinforce themselves. Even you know you're still having those addictive foods, and so your plant based foods are bland, and they're not going to see the the improvements. So they're not going to be motivated to keep going, and therefore the only thing to do is make a massive change and power through it. What's what's your response to that philosophy? I mean, if it worked, it'd be great. I, I would agree. It just it just seems like it doesn't work. I and mean, that's that's the classic story of someone who changes their diet and then two weeks later, they're completely back to where they were before because they they made it successful for thirteen days. And then there's this perfectionist mindset, and they've been perfect for thirteen days. And then at the point where that willpower breaks because it's been taxed so much during these these you know first thirteen days, then then they go to happy hour with their friends and they do whatever and they totally just give up and and i think that's it's it's just what we see over and over um i think you know i i understand especially when you mentioned the the more strict of these uh you know the 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 approaches to this diet that are more strict a lot i mean of course there are doctors behind a lot of those and i understand why doctors have that mindset because i mean they they they're looking at what is the ideal and i don't think i don't i think it's a pretty new thing that that doctors are beginning to think about what's the best way to present this to a patient so that there's compliance. Uh, it, it just seems to me that, that they see that they, that what is, what's the ideal. And then that's what they should tell the patient to do. It just seems that that's the way it's working. And it seems like it'd be hard for a doctor to say, well, you should take the next three months of your life, not living in the way that is ideal, you know, from a health perspective, because it's going to help you adopt it over the long term. I just, it, it just seems to me that that's a pretty unnatural thing for doctors to do. And I think it is changing somewhat. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, you know, I don't know. There, there are two camps. What I like to do because I get the same amount of pushback from from people, and I, I kind of understand it because I 
am someone who gets really motivated, really inspired to do some, you know, new crazy thing, run a race, whatever. And I want to go all in and go for it and change my whole life overnight and, and change, you know, nine habits at a time. They're all going to help me towards whatever this goal is. So I understand that feeling. I understand the temptation. What I tell people to do is if, if you want to try the other thing, like if you want to go for it, by all means do. But when day 14 or day 25 or whatever the big failure day is that comes when the perfectionism goes out the window and so, so suddenly it feels like you've, you've thrown away the past few weeks of, of all this good behavior that you did, when that day comes, don't treat it as, okay, the plant-based diet thing didn't work. That's not for me. I can't do that. Treat it as, okay, the all-in, all-at-once, change my whole life in, in one step approach didn't work. Now I'm resorting to plan B which is this smaller steps approach that I've heard about. So I think, you know, give it a try, but treat it as, as phase one of two. Okay, cool. What, what about you, Sid? What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I've had the same experience with Matt. And again, I'll, I'll just stress the, the point I made before, which is that some people are ready for that big old change. Um, I think what I'm seeing more and more, and this is kind of disheartening for me, is I do see this, in a way, breeding of militancy, Especially in the plant-based world, I you know I'm, I speak at VegFest and I'm seeing people you know at, at lectures about protein and and now you know nuts and seeds are evil and they're and they've got their notepads out and they're just you know copious notes and oil, they can't have a single drop of oil and and you know I'm a nutritionist of course I know oils junk food but we do a lot of stuff that's unnatural and and instead what I'm seeing is people sort of pushing through this kind of I've got to be perfect like Matt said and what that's breeding isn't health in my opinion what that's breeding is stress is additional stress i am for whatever gets somebody to make a long a truly long term lifestyle change without upsetting their entire world social networks i mean you know all of a sudden you can't go to a party all of a sudden because you know you have these rigid i work at a vegan resort i've got we see people come in with you know a list of things they can and can't eat and it, and you can tell it's it's assuming their entire lives and it's just not a model that I want to promote I want people to understand the end game be educated about where they're going but then help them figure out the best way for them to get there so they when they get there they stay there and that's how Matt and I got to where we are in our own personal lives and with our families too we don't think about it every day it's what we do but we it took a while for us to get to this point it, it occurs to me just now that you know that there are, of course, people who make like a total shift, and whether it's around diet or you know religion or political or whatever, like we've seen like these conversion experiences, and I'm get I guess I see those as trailing indicators, like something else has happened, and then mm -hmm. the behaviors shift. Whereas what you're talking about is let's use behaviors as drivers of that change rather than tr try to get someone to be what they aren't yet. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. And this is totally anecdotal and just kind of based on what I've what I think I've encountered. I, I do hear a lot of stories about the person who, you know, watched Earthlings and then suddenly was vegan forever because they couldn't ever imagine, you know, being a part of and for those who don't know, Earthlings is is a, an extremely graphic film. Uh, about animal cruelty. And some people, you know, criticize it for saying it's not totally accurate, but very, very graphic, graphic film. People call it the vegan maker because it just makes people want to change the way they eat for ethical reasons. Um, I think a lot of times when, when someone does make a total change, it's because something else has, has happened that, that has moved them to want to change, uh, or they've had a major health scare and that has made them want to change. And then because all that's in place, all that foundation is there, then the, the all at once complete total change transformation thing 
Uh, I think it has a much better chance of, of lasting then. If it's more of a, a sort of feeling that you should change and, and you, know, you watch Forks Over Knives and say, well, I, I, I feel like I should do that, I don't think that has that same tip. Or at least uh, maybe someone is extremely moved by that and says, I have to do this now. Um, but I just think, I think what you said about being a kind of a trailing indicator uh, is totally right. That when there's something else that has caused that change, then sure, that, that can happen. But I don't see a lot of people who, who for their health, in you know without not in the presence of a complete health scare or something that that causes to happen uh, i don't see a lot of those people who who change their diet overnight and make it last so what what does that say about the role of motivation because you know we live in a motivation culture and i'm and i'm certain that if you took someone and then you like took their children held them hostage and held a gun to their head and said if you ever if if cheese or meat or fish ever passes your lips again, I'm blowing your kid's brains out. I'm pretty sure that people would not need a meal plan or, or a, <laughs> right. but, but in the, in the, like what's, what's your take on motivation as, as something that's important or something that's lacking or something that, you know, you work with what you've got. Well, should I, I'll take this one. Go for it. Um, I, I think that it, motivation plays the huge factor, and I think that but I think the hindrance is that people aren't necessarily clear on why they're even doing it. And I think that the people that you know, like Matt said, watch the movie Earthlings. I mean, I'll tell you that's the reason I'm strict. It's not really nutritional. I can have a little animal products now and then and be totally fine, um, but I don't do it at all for reasons other than nutrition. And I and I think that. What I want hope that that people do is get very clear on why they're doing this. This is what Matt and I keep repeating to the people that are doing that that are doing our thing, which is remember why you're doing this. If you're doing it to live happier and to feel more vibrant, then the choices that you make aren't going to be restrictive. If you do it to lower your cholesterol or to lose weight, then they're going to be restrictive. And you're going to be bummed that you can't have this and you can't have that. So when I gave up dairy, it's, it wasn't restrictive at all because what I got in return was no asthma. That was hugely worth it for me as a, as a singer-songwriter to not be an asthmatic. There was no restriction there at all. So if you're, if, you're, if you're clear about your motivation, then you'll be more clear about what you're able to take on that is long-lasting. And if your motivation is that you just got had a heart attack, then again, your small step is going to be gargantuan. And I've worked with people with cancer. They're ready for everything. Give, tell me what to do. I'll do it, everything. And there's no stress associated. They're in it for the long term because they've, they've got very clear motivation behind their actions. Matt, anything to add? Uh, I just, I mean, just to reinforce, I think, I think when, when, when it's about health and when you're thinking about health, um, the situation usually isn't at all like having, having your child being held hostage with a gun to their head, right? It's not, it's not one tiny little slip up and, and suddenly you're, you know, you've failed. Whereas, whereas with an ethical approach, you know, it sometimes does feel like that. And and that's same for Sid and same for me. That's why we're a hundred percent vegan instead of instead of ninety eight percent because you know plenty of vegan doctors now have have argued that you could probably be ninety five percent vegan and like I've seen Joel Furman for example say that that he has no clear evidence that there's that there's a health difference between being ninety five percent vegan and being a hundred percent vegan. So I think I think from a health standpoint, when it's purely motivated motivated by health, which for a lot of people it is, and and for good reason. Um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's hard to even compare that to, to a situation where, because there, it's not one slip up and suddenly you're done. Um, and it shouldn't be, but, but I think, I think that's part of the, the issue is that, uh, it, 
you know, it, it's, we're so bad at changing that, that we say, well, one's not going to hurt me. And then that leads to another and then another, another, and then suddenly we're back the way we were before. Well, that, that brings up something that I, I really wanted to cover with you guys, and especially Sid having uh, come upon your small steps and approaching the natural. And I, you know, the word approaching to me is just so profound. And it, it, it harkens back to a, a conversation I had with T. Colin Campbell when we were working on Whole, where I was kind of in the, you know, I think people can make these small steps. They don't have to go 100 percent. And he was like, no, tell them to go 100 percent even though we don't have the evidence, like he was one of the first people to say, we don't have any evidence that 95% is any worse than 100%. But he says, it's just easier. Like if you're, <laughs> if you're telling people that 95% is okay, it's like that whole moderation thing. Like I'm going to eat in moderation all day and I'm going to end up having six cupcakes and, and 12 you know, bowls of Fruit Loops because it's only this one time. And so how do you help people who, who don't want to go 100% and still achieve, you know, get 95% as opposed to like 50 or 25 or, or, or whatever vague number they might arrive at. Well, I don't know who this T. Colin Campbell character is that you're talking <laughs> about. Um, uh, I'm, I'm joking. Anyway, um, yeah, you know, it, it really, for me, it's a mindset. And I, I, I honestly, this is the truth. I, I wish, you know, more people were 100% plant-based uh, for sure. I'm also more importantly, to me, more concerned with getting somebody where they're living happy and healthy, whatever that looks like. I'm less concerned. Again, Matt and I are both very, very sensitive about breeding militancy. I don't want people to feel bad and resentful and guilty if they have one little slip up. What I want them to do is realize that the choices that they make about food and other things too can be about joy and about adding you know a more fulfilling life that's what i'm trying that's the end game is for people to live better when they start feeling better in their bodies when they start feeling the mood in their body you know their actual emotional state you know that you know obviously you know that that food affects that as well when they start feeling better they're going to keep going and they're probably going to get to 100% or or pretty darn close but but for me to jam it down their throats early on and say well here you go bam just do this today most times that doesn't work and i think when you say it's just easier to just stop it for some people, but for other people who have, you know, lived 50 years of food that, that that is traditional for them, their family identity is associated with the food they eat. That's not appropriate to tell somebody just stop tomorrow. It's like telling an alcoholic, just stop drinking. That's how you stop being an alcoholic. Just stop drinking. Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. I think people need support uh, in 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 the world because you know there's there. I have a pamphlet that I always show at the talks that I do that was given to my wife and me in the doctor's office when she was pregnant with our twins. And it's called A Good Start Nutrition During Pregnancy. And the copyright says 1998, revised 1992 National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And, and that's in the doctor's office. Well, when you're up against that kind of stuff, of course it's not that easy of a choice to just stop eating something that you think you're going to damage your kids or yourself by stopping. I'm a big fan, Howard, of, of kind of progressively... Um, you know, treating things, I sense probably more than, more than Sid is, um, breaking things into stages and saying for the next 30 days, I'm going to try this kind of, you know, strictly defined moderation. So saying, here's what moderation is. And, and for me, like for a year before I was vegetarian and, and kind of afraid to do it, um, because I was a runner and I was worried about protein, like everybody else is I said, I'm just going to stop eating cows and pigs. I'm going to no longer eat these, the four legged animals. They are going to be off my plate. 
And I'm going to do that for a certain amount of time. And I got to this point where I, I just did that and I was comfortable with that. It allowed me to feel like, you know, not experience those fears that a lot of people do around going 100% plant-based. Uh, and then I said, okay, well, now what I'm going to do is a 10-day trial of going a step further, just eating, eating fish, removing all the, now the birds from my diet, um, the two-legged animals. And then, you know, that ended up working. So I said, okay, I'm going to do that for 30 days now. And, and eventually it was, I guess, two years after being completely vegetarian or one year maybe after, I said, I'm going to do a 30-day vegan challenge of being fully vegan now. And actually found out in the course of that 30 days that I wasn't quite ready to do it because by the end of it, I was just totally craving cheese pizza and, and like counting down the days to get back to it. But it turned out that three months after that or something, I actually was vegan and I had kind of gradually approached it after that. So the, the reason I'm telling this, the point that I just want to make here is that I think it's it's really interesting when you, you mentioned this, this idea of moderation as being something that when people hear about moderation, suddenly it's like this freedom to just, you know, misbehave and, and do a little bit here. And then just kind of, like you said, it kind of ends up becoming that they eat six donuts throughout the day in the name of moderation. Um, I think there are ways of doing moderation, but kind of putting boundaries on it and, and, and boundaries in terms of like what is acceptable within moderation and also boundaries of, of time. It says like, I'm going to try this new, slightly harder level of moderation now but you kind of put a time bound on it and then you can say that you have a finish line. When you get there, you you can either keep going with it or maybe you've learned something about yourself and you decide that you're not quite ready to it. But I feel like, you know, it never hurts. To me, even when those challenges fail, it it teaches you something and it teaches you what it's like. It kind of sets up a little contrast so that then you when you go back to the old way, you experience it in sort of a new light. Uh, I think I think those sorts of things are really wonderful. And I, I would love it if, if there were people would do kind of more research about that approach to changing long term. Mm. It reminds me of some of the social science research on commitment, which is, you know, if you, I think it was one famous study where they went around and, and asked people to put big lawn signs on their, mm -hmm. on their front lawn you know, against like uh, driving without a seatbelt or drunk driving or something. And almost everyone said no, because they were like huge, ugly lawn signs. But then they went around to a similar neighborhood and asked people to put a small placard in their window. And people, sure, yeah, why not? And then when they went back to those same people a few weeks later and said, "You want? Could you put a lawn sign on?" A lot of them said yes, because now they had they had taken a small action that changed their self perception. Like now I am a person who cares about this. So for you, Matt, to say, "Okay, I'm going to give up the four leggeds for a month," all of a sudden you were now a different person in in your own mind. You that, that made it easier to then take the next step without with less resistance. Totally. I think that's, that's completely valid. That, that commitment and consistency principle is, is one that, you know, is operating in so many different ways in our lives uh, that we don't really realize. Um, but yeah, and, and I think it goes beyond just what I did. But like, you see a lot of times people become more ethically interested in this thing once they've done like someone, you know, sees forks over knives, tries to be plant-based, hopefully successfully for, for a period of time. And then three or six months into it, they suddenly care about animals in a way they never did before. They've started to feel compassionate, um, I think, you know, because they've gotten used to ordering off the vegetarian or the vegan menu. Similarly, you get people like Sid kind of alluded to earlier who suddenly can become active now that they've they've lost some weight and start to feel healthy that that it allow yes, it allows them physically to actually be more active now. But they also feel more like a person who is into that sort of stuff. So I think that's a huge principle. And that, that kind of explains a lot of the, the spiral of success that you see when, when it does work.
Yeah, and, one, and one of the things I'm coming to is like this idea that we are naturally compassionate. So, so it's like the question is not how do, why do people why do some people become compassionate and become mm-hmm. activists, but why don't the rest of us? And I think it's uh-huh. you know the issue is okay if you like if if, if you're a, a PETA member and you hand me a pamphlet showing graphic animal cruelty and I'm a meat eater, you're attacking me. And, and I'm going to put up all my defenses. But even if I've just given up cows for 30 days, or even if I just do meatless Mondays, then all of a sudden, you're not attacking me. I'm part of the solution, not part of the problem. Yeah, and I, I wish more people saw it that way. I mean, I, I certainly there are, there are places and times when, when you know, PETA's approach works and reaches certain people, maybe creates new, really, really uh, you know, passionate activists. But I think the other approach, there's a lot more room for us to grow and, and a lot more opportunity for people to reach people who have never really, you know, been reached by this before. And that that's for me, that's probably the number one reason why No Meat Athlete has been successful and turned into something that I can do as a job and, and has reached all these people. Uh, it's just that I, I was really terrified of of being like I never liked being sold to or being pushed something on me. I just was the type of person who really didn't like that. And uh, my, my biggest fear was that I would become someone like that. And that, that in fact, prevented me from becoming vegetarian for a while because I didn't want to be that person. And I thought that's kind of what you did if you, if you went vegetarian. Um, so I think, that's, I think that's really, really true. If you, can, if you can avoid people feeling like you're attacking them and avoid them putting up barriers to, to you know, block your attacks, that's so much better. And I think it's such a shame, I think, when someone when I see a vegan – you know, shame somebody else for only doing meatless Monday or only being vegetarian. When I think, I think that's that's where the that's how people are going to change is through those small steps. And I, it just makes me very sad when I see people uh, discouraging that by saying it's not enough. So, Sid, I want to talk to you about your philosophy approaching the natural. So, the, the word "the" is the only word in there that I'm not intrigued by. <laughs> So. <laughs> it's gone. It's uh, out of there. Approaching no, natural. Now it's just approaching natural. <laughs> well, <laughs> good, because we're, we're, we're both reductionists, I'd say. So. <laughs> yes. Cut it out. Um, so so first, of, let's start with the, the noun. So why approaching uh, why natural? Why not healthy or, or vegan or holistic? Why, why natural? Well, I, want, I wanted people uh, to to see what I saw, which was, or at least to, to look day to day as kind of a mindset thing again, but to recognize that we are still animals. I think it's lost. I always reference George Orwell's 19, uh, sorry, animal farm where animals dress up as people. It's kind of what we're doing. We're animals dressed up as people. <laughs> and I think if, if we understand that in still in the context of the modern world that, that we all live in, I'm not living in, in, in the wild, but I do recognize the very sort of animal nature of my body and mind that I'm designed, that my body is designed to be healthy. It's designed to, to, to need certain things to achieve its goals, which is detoxifying and metabolizing and repairing all the things that a body does. It needs tools, very, very simple tools to do that. My mind is looking for joy and creativity and, and, and just sort of the way that the mind works. And so it's sort of the approaching the natural is to come at your day each day to say, okay, yeah, I have to get into a car and drive and sit into, sit in a, a cubicle. But at the same time, is what am I doing that's more appealing to the natural part of me too? Can I bring in little bits of that in, in the context of my day as well? Can I put a little bit more natural food in my body? 
Can I move my body a little bit throughout the day, a little more in a more of an integrated fashion? How can I approach the natural knowing that I cannot be 100% natural living in the world that is today? I, I can't achieve that, but I can approach it day to day and, and be mindful that my body does need things besides Twinkies. It needs actual food that it needs to, to, to work. And so it's just it's a, it's a philosophy of health and happiness, essentially. Mm. And, and I've been... Uh reading a fair amount of like AI and, you know, I used to be involved in, in marketing in the tech world. And there's a, there's an assumption that like, you know, technology will solve all our problems. All our, like one day we'll have a singularity and we will be one with computers and we can fix global warming with, with giant carbon tubes. And there, there's something about saying that we are animals and saying it that starkly, like we are animals dressed up as people that, that I, th I think brings us down to earth a little bit about, you know, a little humility about our limitations. Yeah, I think that I think that it's. I'm not going to exclude technology at all. In fact, I, I, I'm not anti-technology at all. But to me, it is about establishing an ethical basis, a, a thoughtful basis. I think you nailed it, however, and I wish more people would say this, that you think people are generally compassionate. I find the same thing, too. I just think that that deep down we are. And when we can get in touch with that part of ourselves, when I think most people I know that if you're driving down the road and a squirrel, you know, jumped into the road, they would swerve to, to hit it. They're not going to try to hit the squirrel, but then they go eat, you know, McDonald's because they've been conditioned just as I was as a kid to just, that's what you do. It's getting people to a level where they can actually have moments to consider the lives that they want to live. And it's like, it's an, it is to me always comes down to sort of an ethical approach to living, and I think that while carbon tubes may be a, a necessary solution to global warming, it's not going to be a substitute for people being conscious of how they want the Earth to be and how they want our species to be and how they want to live their lives. I think we also have to infuse more thinking or, or, or at least try to help people get to where they can think more about their lives and the quality of their lives and how they want to raise their families. All right. And, and as someone who's done a lot of research, working with people, working on books and, and blogs and podcasts and stuff, it's really easy to get lost in the weeds of nutritional research, right? There's going to be a, some biomarker study somewhere that shows that, you know, eating um, free range organic cow liver is really good for you. And they're, you know, because they're looking at how this affects this one meta metabolic process and at some point, I end up, like all the research I've done, I end up throwing up my hands and saying, but is it natural? Like, yeah, when, totally. as, as animals, does that make sense? Right. Right. It, it, go ahead, man. I, I'm just, I'm still going back to what Howard said about uh, this, the idea that one day technology is going to make everything better and take care of all our nutritional problems. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm puzzled by that. I wonder if, if at some point... We, you know, like when, when people bring up paleo diet, right? And they'd say, this is how, how the natural way to eat because it's, it's how, you know, our ancestors did. And then someone else points out, yeah, and they say, yeah, those people lived to be 35 years old and then they died. Um, I, I kind of wonder the same about, about nutrition. Like, yes, like we can, we can keep approaching the natural from, from an, and, and ignore, and of course, Howard, you're not suggesting that we ignore research, but we can throw up our hands and say, like, yeah, but this isn't natural, and let's let's live naturally so that we can live to what seems you know the the full end of the range of our lives and get to, up to be a hundred years old or so. Um, I wonder, like, does technology one day 
help us far, far exceed that because it goes into something that is that is no longer natural. You know, it's sort of supernatural. It lets us do something that, that we've never been able to do, which is, I realize, an entirely tangential sort of topic, but I was just <laughs> kind of wondering about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so because a lot of the folks who are really influential in, in our country about nutrition, you know, are, are like the high-performance people. And, you know, Rich, right. Rich Roll has thought a lot about this um, around, you know, so, like, you know... I don't know. I, I, I listen to people talking about, you know, getting these BCAAs and, and, uh, and these high level, um, you know, supplements that are going to give us like super performance and, and you know, uh, genetic splicing. And like, you know, like that'd be fun to work on once we've like solved the basic <laughs> problems. And, yeah. and I, was, you know, I was listening to an interview that, that he did with like, Rhonda Patrick, who was, talking, who was about anti-aging and life extension and all these exciting new things that can help us, you know, potentially, you know, improve our telomerase and, and who knows how long we could live. And I'm like, like, most of us hate our lives. Like, why do we, why, why the hell <laughs> yeah. do we want to? I think, I think Matt, I think our brain, at least mine for sure, I can't speak for Matt, is that's all fine and good. And it's, I, it's sort of cursorily interesting to me, I guess. My goal is to help the person who has to go to work tomorrow live, live better and, and be happier and healthier in their body. That's, that's just where my brain is right now. <laughs> and I, and I think that, you know, it's like, like you said, like we have to, we have to sort of get our, our foundation ducks in a row to me before we put our brains into that, into that level of, of existence. Yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, if, if for the vast majority of people, you know, there might be 20 to 25 years of life or quality years of life, at least to be had by changing their diet. There's a really easy thing that we know how to do, uh, versus however, what we can do for the, for the 1% of people who are already maxing that out by being perfect, you know? And the thing is, is like, you know, I got into an argument with a, with a, not an argument, it was civil, but where there was a woman who was at the, at the inn where I work and she, she's a biochemist and she just looked at me and said, a hundred percent, it is necessary for humans to consume animal foods. She just, she was just a hundred, she said, I've read the research. It's a hundred percent. I go, okay, well, I haven't had any in 12 years. So how am I alive and doing better now at 47 than I was at 27 and she said, well, basically, I'm an anomaly. And of course, that's the go-to. Like, we're, there's now there's millions of anomalies walking around, right? And so so just, so just when you go with somebody on the level of research, Howard, you said it yourself, you know, you'll lose because there's enough research to show that ketogenic diets, can you can perform, and et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, really, what is more natural? I always, that's where I, that's my sort of go-to. It's like, we would eat things that were local to us. We would eat physically what was in front of us. If there was fruit abundantly, we would eat that. If there was no plants to be had because we got pushed to an area where there was no plants, we would probably eat an animal. That's not appropriate in the modern world now with, with the way that we do animal agriculture and even plant agriculture. It's a different world and we have to think, okay, well, what's the best option in the context of this world? And I think Matt and I and you believe wholeheartedly that that's whole plants. That's, that's delivering the more goods in the context of what this world looks like today. And so we have to be, that's as natural as we can get in this context. That's why it's approaching the natural. It's no longer us in the, in, you know, in the wild, you know, sussing out a food every day. All right. Well, we 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 covered approaching too. <laughs> yes, we did. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump ahead to the gerund. No, no, that's uh, <laughs> that's quite that's quite all right. Um, 
so let's th- that's all context for what you guys are up to now. So I signed up as soon as I, I got a, uh, a Facebook post from Chef AJ saying that you guys were producing something that was compliant with with uh, with her um, dietary guidelines for ultimate weight loss. I was really curious. I signed up for the meal plans. And the first thing you guys do is bombard me with the idea that this is not really a meal plan. <laughs> so <laughs> so I was that's when I got intrigued and wanted to reach out. So like, what's going on? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not that it's not a meal plan. It's it's that our goal with it is to get people to the point where they don't need a meal plan. And I would argue, Howard, you probably do not need a meal plan. But uh, we want people to to learn to eat in this way because, like Sid has mentioned, to to us and I'm sure for you too, Howard, it's really easy. I mean, there, there's not there's not a lot of tough decisions that go into my day around food. There's not stress around food. It's a very very easy thing to do. I've figured out a handful of recipes that I know I can, if I have nothing in the house and I'm driving home from somewhere and I forget that we don't have dinner, that, you know, I can run into a store and be out in six minutes with the stuff I need to make a recipe that is healthy and tasty and that my kids will eat and that, you know, that I can make in a matter of 20, 25 minutes. So like I, and I've kept a track of those and I know what recipes those are for me and my family. And once you kind of establish this little hand handbook or, or handful of recipes, um, you're you're good. I mean, you, you there's still room for cooking on the weekends, the fancy stuff. Just this past weekend, I made a big Thai dinner for friends, and that took four hours of cooking in the kitchen because it was fun, and I wanted to make something different for variety's sake, um, and just for the fun of doing something like that. But but 95% of the time, it's it's not that, and and you're not in the mood for that. At least I'm not in the mood for that. Uh, so. I, we just want to get across that idea of how easy this actually is. And we think the way to help people do that is to actually immerse them in it uh, and let them see how it works. And then hopefully change our stuff, change these plans so that the second time they go through a month long plan, they've changed it somewhat. They've found the meals that they like in there. Uh, maybe they make those a few more times. Maybe they've, they've realized that one of their old standbys that they do at home, they can now do in a healthier or faster way. And they've adapted that to now they're having that, you know, on Monday nights or something. Um, you know, we want people to to get to the point where they don't think in terms of meal plan anymore. Uh, but but we think a meal plan is the the way to get there. Okay. So when people first log on and they and you know they uh, they want their first nugget of information. So what is what is what do they get? That's like if they, if they're doing small steps to get them to a point of freedom for meal plans. What is the first meal plan look like? How prescriptive and detailed is it? And what does it include? Sid, you want to take that one? Yeah, well, we, 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 so we, there's, there's five, um, there's essentially five meal plans, but we're trying to, to, to drive people to the, what we call the standard minimalist uh, plan. And that is essentially, it's a moderately easy plan, but it, it is a plan. And we want to be very clear about that. Like there is no, it's, it's this smoothie and it's this snack and it's this lunch and this snack and this dinner. It's there. And so it is something for people to follow, except to say that the reason why this is a subscription is because we didn't just want to go, here's your meal plan. You bought it. Good luck. We were like, here's the meal plan, but we're very with the live Q and A's and just this and the, all the videos that we included. There's like 23 videos included. Some are cooking, but but a lot of them are Matt and I talking about how to utilize this plan in in, in a very lifelong fashion. Is because we really want people to say, okay, well, here's the plan. 
but we want the question to be asked, what am I able to take on right now? Maybe it's one day of this plan per week. Maybe it's just the dinners of the plan because I have time to come home and try that. But you know, for breakfast and lunch, I just I got to do what I usually do, but I can't really touch that right now. But for dinner, I can, or maybe I just do it on the weekends. So we don't, we didn't just, we wanted to hold people's hands through this process, but it's just what Matt said, which is we want them to get to the point where they don't need the plan anymore. But what they do get when they log in is that standard minimalist among others, but that's where, again, we're trying to draw people's attention. It's a plan. You see day one through 30. It's it's laid out for you. The recipes are attached. The shopping lists are there. It's a fully utilized meal plan as if you've seen, you know, just like you've seen in other places. I just think ours is a little more simple, a little more doable, and then we provide the ongoing support to move you past the point where you need a plan. And there is kind of a, a progression that we had in mind, which, which maybe is what you're, when you talk about steps, Howard, is, you know, after people complete this standard minimalist, which we kind of recommend that everybody do, um, there are other stuff. Like there's, there's a variety plan for someone who, who doesn't want to use leftovers. I mean, because leftovers are a crucial part of the way that I eat. Like that way I don't have to cook lunch. Sid does it a little bit differently because he drinks a smoothie that for the first 19 hours of the day or something. <laughs> um, but but like you know, I have to have those leftovers. So, so for me, that belongs in a standard in a minimalist plan. Uh, but we do like, once you've done that. If you decide you you just don't like leftovers for lunch, then move on to the variety plan where you don't have that and where there's no repeating dinner in 30 days. Um, there's the athlete plan for people who who are more athletic. You know, just not all that different from standard minimalist, but looks at pre and around and or pre, during, and post workout nutrition, uh, as well as a few more calories from nuts and seeds. Uh, and then uh, there's, of course, weight loss. And then there's Sid's extreme minimalist plan, which is, you know, which I think is a pretty cool progression to take. Do the standard one first and then move on to uh, what, what Sid does most days, which, as I mentioned, is, is a smoothie for the first good bit of the day, then a, a dinner based on salad and, you know, something else, some other kind of grain or something. Ooh, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm liking the simplicity of that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a ton of time to save when you do that. Matt, Matt and I thought the extreme, like we kind of giggled about it because it's what I do. And we thought nobody would, everyone would think it was crazy. But I'm actually more and more, I'm hearing more and more people actually diving into that because they're busy like like I am. And and so it, it's like, oh, this is freaking simple. But they almost want the license to know that that was okay. You know, and it's like, do you mean if I just do this, I can just, yeah, okay. And it's, it is so like Monday through Friday, that's what I do because it's just so easy and I'm a long distance runner. I have all the energy I need and it's, and it's, there's no nutritional downside at all. It's just full ease. And it's like, you know, I have three kids. So my wife and I both work full time, you know, like Matt too, like we have busy families. We're pulling this off with ease and less time in the kitchen than most other families we know by far. Right. Yeah. And I just felt in myself that same thing that you mentioned, like, I want to know it's okay because you know, in the in the literature, and it's, you know, there's uh, there are a lot of folks who are writing about smoothies not being so great, and and uh, pre-masticating and releasing, you know, re- removing the the fiber or breaking it down too much, and you know, so e- even, maybe even especially people who are immersed in the research and have some, you know, some sense of their own human frailty get more and more confused. So to hear that, to <laughs> well, hear the whole, the whole yeah, I mean, the reason why. It. In, in, in a sense, it's true. I mean, that's why Matt and I are not active and we're super overweight is because <laughs> right. we drink smoothies. So obviously that research is sound. And um, anyway, right. well, I'll, l- I'll l- luckily you did the, the 30-day Photoshop challenge, right? <laughs> yes. Matt and I both are Photoshopped. We don't look anything like our pictures. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like – I don't know. Smoothies, the smoothies are a personal thing for me because they, I feel like smoothie is what changed my life. Like that was the little wedge that, that kind of got me to really start eating healthy. 
And I, I really worry that when people say smoothies aren't healthy because it makes the food more calorically dense and it's too easy to drink too many calories, that we are we are losing the forest for the trees, for lack of a better you know term. Um, that I mean, I think smoothies have the a smoothie that's made right, not with a bunch of yogurt and who knows what else in there, but just based on fruit and some nuts and seeds. Uh, if that, I mean, the kids are just are just fruit. That that can be the first healthy breakfast that someone eats in ten years. And we mentioned mentioned the commitment consistency principle. That that one thing can start to make its way through lunch, where now you end up being healthy, uh, not just in in your first meal, which is this really convenient, easy smoothie, but now you're just a little bit more likely to make a healthy choice at ten o'clock when the donuts come around in the office. And then you know a couple weeks of that, and you're more likely to you know, get a big salad with beans on it or something for lunch. I, I just think there's so much potential for good from people having something as simple and delicious and healthy as a smoothie that when someone argues that it's not healthy, and I mean, I understand, like, I understand maybe, yes, it'd be better to eat the food in the smoothie and just not blend it up. But the reality is people aren't going to do that. And it goes back to that kind of like the ideal versus the the thing that's going to actually help people change. That's going to be something they can bite off and actually do, uh, I just it it upsets me when when people rail against the smoothie. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't be more in agreement with Matt. And and again, we're just not we're not trying to make people militant and afraid. And if they're reading the research now, I can't have a smoothie now. I can't do this now. I can't do that. And you know, it's like is a smoothie as natural as like Matt said, eating the eating the food itself? No, but it's approaching. And it's it, like Matt said, it's probably so much better than what they were doing, and it fits in the context of something else unnatural, which is being a lawyer and sitting in a cubicle, you know, in an office for fourteen hours. That's also really hard on our bodies too. We got to figure out how to make this work in that context. So, so when you mention smoothies, and you know, especially all pretty much fruit smoothies, and you're not talking about like nine tenths kale and collards with a little bit of apple just to help me gag it down. Right. Now you can. I mean, you can throw kale or spinach in there. I do that sometimes, but I don't base it on that. Uh-huh. So, so that leads me to something I've been thinking about a lot um, lately, which is caloric restriction for people who are eating whole food, plant based diets. And it was it was sparked by a blog post that Lindsay Nixon put out, and you know she's the uh, the happy herbivore, and she has a meal plan uh, business, right? And she wrote that. Um, a lot of the people, especially the men in the plant-based movement, throw around this idea that you can eat ad libitum as much as you want of certain foods and you won't get fat. And she argued with that. And she said she needed caloric restriction. And then I'm listening to Doug Lyle talking about like the physiology of like that's impossible. There's no way if you're eating, you know, under like six hundred roughly six hundred calories a pound food that you could possibly overeat. And I'm wondering how whether you guys deal with the issue of caloric restriction. Like, do your meal plans have a a limit, or is it you know like especially when you're talking about smoothies? Like, I could easily drink like the entire 64 ounce Vitamix container in an hour, and it's pretty high sugar because of all the the fruits I'm putting in. So, what what how did did you deal with caloric restriction or any sort of restriction in the meal plans? Matt, you want me to take this? Yeah, go for it, dude. Okay. Uh, short answer is no, and, and I mean, I my smoothie today has twelve bananas in it and a couple cups of frozen berries, um, and it and, and, and it does fill up the entire blender full. But again, I'm not drink. I don't. I don't know if I even could drink that in an hour. I'm so full by even drinking a third, and I split it up into jars and I sip it throughout the day. So I'm never getting 
a thousand calories, you know, in one sitting. And it's because it's got the fiber in it and everything else. There's no real blood sugar spiking. It's low in the glycemic load. Um, and so I just fully disagree with this whole caloric. I just don't disagree. I just disagree with Lindsay. It's respectfully fine. I don't think we're designed for caloric restriction. I don't think we're designed for portion control. What Matt and I advocate for is if people want to lose weight, they eat till they're full, but they change the nature of the food that they're eating till they're full. They move up the spectrum of high nutritional micronutrient density. So in other words, as you move up to fruits and vegetables, you're still eating to your full, but in that meal, you're getting a lot less calories, but you're not walking away with this sort of restrict. Again, I, I you know, maybe because my bachelor's degree is in philosophy, but I still come back to this thing of like, does it make you happy to be thinking about caloric restriction? Does it make you happy to, to portion control and be this sort of restrictive mindset, this kind of militant thing? I don't think so. I'd rather say people you know, help people be abundant and eat, eat till they're full and not worry about it and just flood their bodies with, with great nutrition. That's the mindset that like nourish your body, let your body figure out the weight that it needs to be. I'm, I have a flat stomach at 47. It has nothing to do with calorie counting, measuring or weighing because I haven't done that in 12 years. So how is that possible whether I'm running or not? It's because I just change the nature of the food over time to now where I eat most of my calories is coming from what I call heavy box foods, but those are super, super nutritious foods. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say that like, because this works for me and Sid that, that therefore it works for everyone. Um, but I, I think for the vast majority of people, like it, it should, I, I I'm sure like you mentioned chef AJ and I know her plan, you know, wouldn't have smoothies on it for the exact, for the caloric density thing, right? If you, if you, blend the food up into a smoothie it becomes a lot that you can you can fit into your body a lot of calories much more than you could with the food and if you're someone who has struggled with weight for a long long time and you've tried everything and you just can't lose weight then i wouldn't suggest you start drinking a smoothie unless you're eating total junk in the morning and the smoothie is is the next best thing and i think for a lot of people that is the case and i think that's that's the first step to go before you go further to the point where you say well now i'm just going to eat the actual stuff that's in the smoothie so that i'll eat fewer of these fruits and and you know fewer nuts and seeds i think that that might be the the path for some people that that maybe eventually getting rid of the smoothie is the thing that will help them lose weight. But I just, I think we lose so much there. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I don't want to argue that, that no one needs to restrict calories. There's, there's nobody on earth who needs to restrict calories to lose weight. Certainly, I think some people, maybe their bodies just need to do that. Um, but I, I think, I think for the more people than, than realize it would be okay if they just, you know, eat, ate these foods that weren't so calorically dense that uh, that they'd they'd be fine and, and their bodies would, as Sid mentioned, you know, figure out the weight they're supposed to be and move towards it. And when they do, they would be eating less calories. It's just sort of like, is it an intentional caloric restriction or is it just changing the nature of the food? And and I'm 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 in the latter, the camp of the latter. Very glad to hear it. So uh, you guys have the doors were opened very briefly. I jumped in. A few other people jumped in, and I don't know how many. But are you planning on opening this up to the public? Yeah, I mean it it's actually available now. We're not really like promoting it on the website anywhere yet just because we're kind of in there trying to trying to make it better. And I think for the next 2 months people are going to see a lot of changes um to kind of what's in there and just as and we're really we kind of required that everyone who signed up at this lower rate this kind of early bird thing uh that they give us feedback and help us out and help us make it as as useful as possible because that's that's really what it's about. And I think that's kind of my vision for the thing like for the whole plan is that it will become this this sort of laboratory where we can start start to figure out what does really work well for people. Like with this certain type of diet, 
what where are the, where are the sticking points? Like where are the failure points? And I'd, I'd just like to see it completely always evolving. So right now we're kind of in an intense phase of that, I think, since all these new people are in the site at once and using it and finding what's broken and all that. Um, I mean, it's it's technically available. It's just it's double the price now than it was when when you got in, Howard, being such a smart man you are. Uh, but but yeah, so I mean, in the next in the next month or two, you'll probably start to see it on my website more prominently. Okay, so sh- should we uh, tell people where where to find it now, or just uh, or how, sure, or, 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 or um, you just want them to sort of get on your list and then you can uh, open it up as you're ready? No, I mean you can tell me where it is now. It's at it's at nomadeathlete.com slash health. Uh, unfortunately, that was a bad link we chose for some reason. That's redirecting people a lot of times to another post. Uh, but if it does, you'll see right at the top. It'll say if you're looking for health made simple, click here to to go to it. So uh, nomadeathlete.com slash health. Okay, those those uh, those evil WordPress redirects you can never find. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I've got a few of those. Okay. Cool. Nomeatathlete.com slash health and folks can get in and and be part and actually I've gotta say, like, you know, getting in early and being asked to provide feedback on what's broken, it may seem like that's you know, putting some onus on us, on your your customers. But in fact, my guess is that approaching the whole thing as a laboratory is going to give people is going to make it much easier for people to to have the right attitude. Like in, instead of saying, "Oh, what's wrong with me? Why couldn't I stick with this?" They're like, "Well, let's this didn't work or that was confusing." And, you know, they're they're sort of um attributing their failures to something outside of themselves, which which makes them much more likely to experiment until they find out what's right. Yeah, I, right. I sure hope people see it that way. In fact, when we, when we launched it, I wrote um, at, at the bottom of the little sales page, I said, like, here, here are the reasons why you probably shouldn't join. Like, if, if this is you, this probably isn't for you, at least not yet. Uh, one was if you like cooking a different dinner every single night. And if you like really like cooking food from cookbooks all the time, because like we're not trying to pretend that that's our thing. Like gourmet, delicious food was not our number one priority. We want stuff that's that's good enough to eat, really good. But more than that, it was about simplicity and, and ease of, of adaptation. Um, that was one. The other one was calorie counting. If, if you're into numbers and pro, because I was getting all these questions about, you know, macronutrient ratios and how many calories. I said, like, we didn't, we, Sid and I, you may have noticed this, Howard, we did not put nutrition facts on any of the recipes because we don't want people to think that way. And, and certainly people are going to request it. Certainly people are going to not join because they're not there. Uh, but we're not going to add them. We don't want, that's not part of it. And the final one was, I said, if you're not in it for the long haul, like if you're someone who's going to get in and say, well, I tried the first week and I ended up, I failed on day two. So I'd like a refund because I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want those people to join at that phase. I don't want those people to join ever, but you know, eventually we will make it where of course we'll offer a refund. Um, but you know, we, we really tried to limit the people who, who got in at this phase to the people who, who we wanted to be in. So it seems so far that people are really, for the most part, are totally on board with that attitude. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, I remember reading that part of the sales letter and, and sort of you know bracing myself because I'm used to those in sales letters. But they usually go <laughs> right, something right. like you know if you don't care about yourself, if <laughs> yeah, you right. don't if you don't have the the, the uh, you know like this list of things that everyone would go no that's not me right of course, of course <laughs> here's my credit card I'll prove it to you and you you guys were 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 actually um, disqualifying people based on on rational okay yeah they're real things I think yeah. <laughs> Cool. No meat athlete dot hell dot slash. Uh, no there you meat go. Take all that in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tilde slash slash. <laughs> no meat athlete dot com slash health. 
and it's Matt Fraser, the no meat athlete, and Sid Garza, the small stepper guy. Um, <laughs> Sid Garza Hillman. Yeah. Sid Garza Hillman. Boy, I'm, all right, I may, I may go back and just. Uh, <laughs> That's fine. You know what? I'm going to edit this sucker. Let's, let's do it again. Wow. Hi. <laughs> okay. So, nomeatathlete.com slash health with Matt Fraser and Sid Garza Hillman. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for taking the time with me today. Thank you, Howard. This was fun. Thanks, Howard. It was great to be here. Cool. Take care, you guys. All right. Talk to you later. As you just heard, I decided not to edit out my garbled efforts to name their names and their website. I could have edited it out quite easily. I left it in because, frankly, I just think it's funny. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes with links and resources and photos of Matt and Sid over at plantyourself.com slash 154. Wow, this is episode 154. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 153 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast but not the email newsletter, please go to plantyourself.com and sign up right now. I include links to articles I write, my weekly TV show, Triangle Be Well, videos I make, videos that I favorite and think are awesome, and my grammar is way better in writing. Thanks to podcast patrons Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Elizabeth Clifton, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherly, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, and a couple of other folks who have become patrons this week, but I haven't yet got permission to share their names. You anonymouses out there, thank you all so much for your support of the podcast. If you would like to support the show, you can share this and other episodes on social media via email. You can write a review, as I mentioned at the top of the show, on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can become a patron by pledging a one-time amount or ongoing donation to the podcast over at plantyourself.com. Remember that $27 magic. And the more monthly income I can count on from the podcast, the better I can make it. Next week, I have an interview with Jamie Gannon, a guy who defeated brain cancer with, among other things, a plant-based diet and qigong. And as he was a young, aspiring, and actually successful actor in L.A. when he got knocked on his butt by a giant brain tumor, and he recovered against considerable odds, and he now helps people recover not just from cancer, but from the cancer treatments that may be saving their lives, but come at a huge cost to health, energy, and well-being. In garden news, the deer found our beets last night, and they had quite a feast. So this weekend, I'm going to be building a higher fence around the garden, and I hope it does the trick. And my little takeaway from this is sometimes we have to take a stand and set a boundary, even if it feels selfish. And my wish for myself and for all of us is that may our boundaries exist for the ultimate good of all, and may they be no more restrictive than necessary. That's it for this week. So as always, be well, my friends. <laughs>